Good, a little warmer today. Yeah. Trending towards summer. Well, it's nice to be with everybody. Like always, we'll stand, we'll pray, and uh, we'll praise God with some songs. Father, we love you. We're here for you. Uh, we just thank you for this place, what it means to all of us, how you've brought us together. Um, so I pray for everything we do to be in your name, for your glory, for your kingdom. So we give you this time as we praise you with songs, as we hear your word. Let it work in us. Let us grow. Um, so we pray for Leonard as he preaches. Pray for us as we hear you through him, as we, as we sing songs to you. Um, we love you, God. We praise you. Thanks for everything that's going on. Amen.
a real joy just to be able to begin the day with um, expressing to God our praises. You know, I was reading something about the beginning of humanity, and um, even people that are secular scholars said that we learn to sing before we learn to speak. Isn't that weird? But I don't think it's so weird, because there's something about music that um, just changes, I don't know, it's so dynamic, and so, I don't know, uh, looking for words that will describe how it centers us in the presence of the Lord. And even whenever you read through like um, C.S. Lewis's writings or J.R.R. Tolkien, they, they talk about stories where they're singing uh, things into being. And uh, that's something that I think uh, we are lucky to have within our tradition as Christians where singing is part of what we do. And there was a time, actually, many, many civic organizations uh, had singing as they gathered. So there's something about um, basically uh, moving a little bit away from just receiving music through our radios and our media uh, centers and offering music that um, I think helps us to really get grounded in the things of God. So that's your mini-sermon before the sermon, uh, free, no, no charge on that one. Uh, but all that to say, glad you're here, glad to sing praises with you, because we'll be doing it actually forever. Bible's pretty clear about that. So if you're, not, if you're a little timid about singing, please don't be. It is, uh, it is the design that God has put in place for us to do uh, as an offering to him forever, and uh, he'll help you with that. 
Um, and if not, you'll just blend well like I do. Um, but all, all that to say, uh, welcome everybody. Welcome to our friends online. And hopefully you guys are blessed and have had a good week. And if not, hopefully you can be encouraged today by the things that uh, God speaks to your heart with uh, as we gather. Uh, so before we get into the message, just wanted to know if there's anything on your heart or your mind that we can lift up together as a body of people, as brothers and sisters in the Lord, uh, that's a burden or a concern or an area of praise uh, that, that um, you, you want to share. Anybody have anything? Okay. Yes. Okay. 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 Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, Keep Jody Williams in your prayers, and uh, he's beginning chemotherapy, and hopefully it'll lead somewhere where he can find healing on the other side of it. And uh, pray as well for Josh Lulai's uh, dad, Wayne, who's going through that. And I know there's some others. Um, um, uh, oh, gosh. Um, Liz Elias. Please keep Liz lifted up. And, um, and, and all of these guys are starting their journey and it's not just them doing it alone, but it's them and their family members navigating the, the wilderness of insurance and what the hospital will allow and what the doctors say and then aligning all of that. It's, it's complicated. And uh, so they, they all need our prayers. A- anyone else? Cliff? Okay. <laughs> all right. So, yeah, Linda's in here somewhere. I'm sure she knows that. Uh, so pray for patience for Dan Kreider. Cliff said it. I'm just echoing it. Um, but, Dan, uh, you are in our thoughts and our prayers, uh, definitely. And uh, he's got a healing road go ahead with the surgery hat on his arm for nerve damage. And hopefully he can get that recovered. So, yeah, hang in there, my friend. Robin? Okay. Okay. Herman Frank's family? Okay. And then Fred's cousin, Babe. Okay. And what's the name again? Babe. Babe? Okay. It's a cousin? Cousin. Okay. Robin, Robin's cousin. Okay. All right. Um, we'll pray for those families who are grieving. Somewhere there's Pat Frank's, Pat. Oh, my. Okay. Hopefully they can get it sorted out. There's a guy right in front of you that just had knee surgery. You can commiserate with him. Yeah. Well, hopefully Stacy can have a successful surgery coming up and regain mobility and pain relief. Anyone else? Rachel? Okay. 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 The phrase on that is the first thing that she said was, I know the devil was going to come after you because Leonard told me that's what was going to happen. <laughs> 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 I have my whole family with me. She said, yeah. I'll be able to fight 
Yeah, good for her. Yeah, yeah, I didn't tell her because I was saying, yeah, I hope that happens. I told her because the Bible says it happens. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'll just share this pastorally. I, 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 you know, I saw a trend over the years. People get baptized, and it seems like sometimes they get hit pretty hard. And it's just a, it just tells you the, the spiritual reality that um, we are being transferred from the kingdom of darkness into God's kingdom, and it happens with resistance. And if we're not a church that supports people that get baptized, knowing that they're going to get hammered sometimes, then it's really a difficult road. And Sammy, you know, that was her test right there, just as we know Jesus was tested. But I'm not saying that to discourage anybody from getting baptized, but rather it should underscore the point that when you get baptized, something good is on the road ahead and something bad is wanting to keep you from moving into that because those forces are definitely real. And uh, we have to support Sammy and anybody else that we know that um, has decided to make that decision to say, I want to become a part of God's family. And if there's anybody here that wants to become a part of God's family, that's why we're here. We're here to help you in that and support you in that in a place that hopefully you find yourself loved and beloved by God. So that's uh, another mini sermon. I mean, if I keep going, we'll just take up an offering at the end and call it a day. Uh, but let, let's go ahead and see if there's anything else. Yes, sir. Okay, Jay. This is my third time here. Okay. And uh, I, I couldn't help but, but uh, uh, notice this, that when, when, when Suarez Beer comes to me to uh, tell, tell you what, what is a whole bunch of spirits, okay, but, but it sounds like you from the uh, Holy Spirit for it. Okay. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that's 
Well, Jake, we are glad you're with us, and uh, we will certainly um, uh, consider what, what you've offered and certainly ask God for wisdom on that, uh, but I appreciate what you just shared, so thank you, Jake. My name is Leonard, like Leonard Skinner. Should. No. No, they said my hair was too short, so they said, you, you're not, you don't look the part. So, all right. Pleasure. Yep. Anyone else? Okay. Let's... Uh, Pray for our friends over in East Palestine. Uh, it is a mess over there. I honestly don't know what this means as far as the needs of that community, but that has been on our hearts lately. Um, obviously, it's, it's something that time will tell regarding how the impact of that is going to uh, affect uh, the well-being of the people in that community. But um, if God is calling us as a church to be a support in any way. Definitely want to be open to that because, again, I don't know what the impact is, uh, but we just want to lift them up. All right, uh, let's go ahead and just take everything that we've offered and bring it before the Lord and ask him to, to guide us through it and bless it. Lord Jesus, we are grateful that as we gather in your name that you are present, and that is the most important thing overall. And, Lord, we know we see us through a glass dimly, and so the way that we share how we know what, uh, what it means to follow you and to love you and to trust you, uh, we know that word for that is called theology. It's just a way of saying this is my understanding of how I, how I do the things that relate to you, God. And as we've uh, looked at your word and we found in it, uh, so many promises and so many things that are signposts to not the word itself, but to you, Lord Jesus. We are grateful that you're here to speak to our hearts and you use your word to do that. But you also use the body of people around us to help us to hear your voice through them as you enable. And we also know that your word gives us a, a, a promise of your spirit so that we could be discerning. And we are grateful as we look at the cross-section of experiences that are in this room, recognizing that many are suffering with um, uh, cancer, and we pray that you would just give a spirit of healing and your touch be upon them. And then as they take uh, the path into healing through uh, the ways that you've called people to offer that, that you would bless them, that you would open doors to the right conversations and the right opportunities that will lead to the most effective way of getting the care that they need and ultimately the healing that they long for. So be with the families that we have mentioned and just help them on their journey. Be with those who are grieving as uh, they've had to say goodbye for now to loved ones, but we're so grateful that there's a vision that you give us in your word that there will be a, a regathering that uh, will center around you, Lord, and your throne. And we just promise that, um, or we, we, we cling to that promise, Lord, that you are always faithful, that you will never leave us, you'll never forsake us. And, and, and if things happen in this life that um, maybe lead to the conclusion, there is still the life that is beyond and so much more uh, that we have to look forward to. And so we are not a despairing people by any stretch. 
but hopeful. And we pray, Father, that as we, we move into a, a new season here, uh, Lent is just off the road. And I pray for our church that you would give us um, the hearts to follow you through Lent as um, we attend to that and we prepare ourselves for the celebration of the resurrection. Just give us that sense of destiny as we move towards it. And along the way, change us and transform us and help us to be the people that we call to be. Uh, we do pray for the peace of, of Israel and in brothers and sisters in the Middle East that see so much chaos and war and destruction and just hopelessness. I pray, Father, that the good news could replace that in all the fronts where evil has had a stronghold. And um, I, I also uh, just want to lift up um, our soldiers who are over in Iran, um, especially um, as I think about Joe Henderson's grandson, Charlie. I pray, Father, that you would protect him and that you would give him uh, your care and, um, <clears throat> and, and just your help in, in the calling that he has. I pray, Father, that uh, you would also be with Blaine, who's over there, and just help uh, him to know your care and protection. And just anybody else that I've missed who's connected to people here, I pray that you'd watch over them. And Lord, as we uh, just take uh, this time and we center our hearts around your word, I pray that I'd be able to speak uh, to the things that are within it as uh, a faithful messenger, that the words that I say would be reflective of that. And where it's not, Lord, I pray that you just give us the discernment to see otherwise, uh, because I, I am also among those who see through a glass dimly. But that said, we have great expectations for you to speak to us today. Uh, so bless your word and your people and help us in the areas that haven't been expressed, the people that are also going through their own trials. I pray that each and every one of them would know your ministering care. And Lord, as we attune our hearts and our minds to you, help us to pray together the Lord's Prayer. Would you pray with me now? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right, well, if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be looking at John for a couple more weeks, and then we're going to pivot back to Luke and finish that out, as I've mentioned before. But um, on, uh, on the 22nd of February is the beginning of Lent, and we will have Lent devotionals uh, for you to follow with and just join us in that, uh, in that journey of going through that and, and looking at uh, the destination that uh, Luke plays out in chapters 20 through 24 regarding Jesus' crucifixion and then burial and then resurrection. And... Um, if you go by my office, uh, you'll see I've taken all of those chapters and I've plastered them on my whiteboard and I've been reading them and thinking about them and making notations. And then I, I shared it with the class. I'm super excited about taking us through that as God is sort, sort of showing us things in it. It should be really good. Uh, but, um, uh, but, but before we press the pause button on John, we got a few more things to go into, which will actually feed into the Lent devotional, as you'll find out. But for now, uh, we're going to explore uh, the ending of uh, John chapter 2, and hopefully as we do it, it'll kind of make sense. All right, so here, let's just uh, pick up 
on this, on this first slide uh, some of the things that happened uh, as John tells it. It says, The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. I'm just going to stop right there for a second and, and just sort of put you back into that moment whenever the people who read, read this letter for the first time uh, began to process exactly John, what John was writing. Now, imagine this. I, I don't know if, if you guys are familiar with what happened in East Palestine uh, on uh, Friday night, but, uh, you know, the town's pretty devastated by a, a derailment where there is, uh, you know, train cars that are burning and there are substances of an unknown, you know, really effect as far as the, uh, the, the long-term rippling effect of how it will uh, impact the environment, the people, the water, their way of life. All that to say, I can imagine that a lot of people are, are pretty devastated right now if they're not just in shock. Um, now, if you were to multiply that times um, hundreds and put that uh, in, in the context of the city of Jerusalem in 70 AD, uh, and recognize that it is just a smoldering rubble. And if you live there and all of your memories and your, you know, it used to be when somebody said, if there's a house, if our house catches on fire, the first thing I'm going to grab is the photo album because I don't want to lose those memories of everything that we built together as a family. And I thought that was kind of an intriguing response, but I've heard that repeatedly from people, this sense of who we were in the course of uh, a series of years and seasons and the memories that created and the meaning and the richness of it. That, in essence, was all destroyed. And what it left was people gathering in God's name, asking the question, where do we go from here? And... What does it mean for our future? And they even went so far back as to say, because everything about their life centered on worship at the temple as Jews, many people were saying, because that, of all things, has been destroyed too, and it really was the center of our lives, who are we? What is our identity? What do we do? And this is about 10 years after the fact. People are still kind of processing how it is that they relate to God when the festivals and when the temple and when those um, pilgrimages that uh, families participated in, all of that is gone. And that devastation created a vacuum where everything is destroyed, but, they ha- but it hasn't been reconstructed yet, and there's a great deal of confusion happening. And for a lot of Christians, what they did was they would gravitate to the synagogue because the synagogue was the closest thing that they had in an approximation 
of the things that had to do with their tradition. Because remember, these people, they had a memory that went back for generation upon generation that was the substance of their identity. And the only place that they could find to express that was in synagogue worship as followers of Jesus. But the Jewish people who did not embrace who Jesus was were also struggling with that question. And they were asking the question, how is it that we recapture the essence of who we are, were as a people for so long now that we have nothing, now that we have actually been kicked out of our town? And they began to sort things out in such a way that they were deciding what they believed in and what they didn't believe in. And it, about 10 years into it, it was really calming to a head where if you were a follower of Jesus and you were coming to the synagogue, the Jewish synagogue rulers were beginning to single you out. And they would say, if you were to gather like we're gathering right now, they would say to you, if you are a follower of Jesus or a follower of the pagan gods, you have to leave. And that really was a throwing down of the gauntlet by the Jewish people that were tolerant of Christians up to that point. They were annoyed by it, but they, they got to the place where they were saying, we don't want you anymore. And what this created was a sense of how do we preserve our communities as followers of Jesus when all of this stuff is gone? And if you've ever read the Gospel of John, he has this really deep burden to help people to understand that what was written in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which sounds very similar in how it's told, the question wasn't, did that happen? But the question was, what did it mean? And why does it matter? Because in effect, their whole faith was being deconstructed. And they were trying to connect some dots so that their lives could recapture some order, so that they could know what it would mean to be followers of Jesus for generations on the road ahead. And John is a critical document that God inspired him to write that says, this is what it meant when Jesus showed up on the landscape. And his hope was these people would know that they were loved by God. And John uses that word a lot. And he also uses the word believe a lot for the purpose of helping people to trust when everything else is just in question. There is one place you can go to find the answers and the order and the deepest needs of your life realized. And John said this actually centers on Jesus. More than you're accustomed to understanding. More than you realize. And John carefully writes the book of John with the placement of information in such a way that he hopes that people are able to process it so they can see what is important and what is necessary for their identity on the road ahead. Now, with that said, John 1 opens up by basically telling us some pretty important things about Jesus. He was with God in the beginning. This isn't just something like, perhaps if you're familiar with the storyline of the Book of Mormon, where 
God gave a new revelation when people settled in the United States about how it's going to go from Jesus on. No, this is a sense of Jesus was there at the beginning of this whole process of the formation of you as a people. You can trust it. It's a bedrock. And not only that, Jesus, he came to be with us. He dwelt with us. He tabernacled with us using language that said, you remember when God took you out of Egypt and he was with you? Pillar of fire by day, by night, and a, a pillar of cloud by day. Right? Did I get that right? Okay. And, and, and he's trying to recapture that sense of imagination of what it was like for those guys back then. And he's trying to locate them in that space with Jesus. Now, I hope that's not too heady for you. It's kind of nerdy sounding. But the reality is these people, they got nothing but time. And they need to know. Until this gets sorted out in their heads, they're not really moving forward. They, 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 their lives have been deconstructed completely. And, and I always tell my kids, you know, because they, they grew up uh, going to school and universities that said, this is bad, and that's bad, and that's got to change, and this has got to do that. And I, I just simply told them, you know, and, I, and I'm a student of philosophy, if, if you're going to deconstruct something, you better have something better to replace it with, or don't do it at all, or you're going to invite chaos. And... Um, Christian and I just had this conversation, you know, he said, you know, there's, in the world that I'm at, you know, they want to tear this down and tear that down and tear that down. And I said, it's fine. If you got a better answer, then tear it down. But if you don't have an answer, please don't create chaos. Because if, there, if there's nothing there, then, then that's worse than, than um, uh, having something that maybe is imperfect. And that is the backstory here because Jesus is actually tearing something down. And he does it rather dramatically. He tears something down to build it back up properly. And John is wanting to show them the deep meaning behind what's happening. So there are two stories in John 2 that he carefully places in, in, in sort of connection to each other. And if you're here last week... The very first thing out of the gate that Jesus says about John is Jesus went to a wedding. Now, Jerry and I were laughing about going to weddings because I said, Jerry, you get your leg fixed, you're going to be a dance instructor. He pulled me aside and he said, that ain't happening. That's the one thing that I can't do. And I said, you're a true brother, because every time I go to a wedding with my wife, she looks at me, people are on the dance floor, and I'm like, yeah, I have two left feet, too, and um, dancing is not my, my strength. I said, I got a whole bunch of other ones, honey, uh, you can look at. But she's like, I, I, I want to dance right now. So weddings make me a little bit traumatized in that way, but I've performed so many of them as a pastor that they are so beautiful on the other hand because you're creating a covenant between two people and God. And uh, it's, you know, it's, it's deeply rich and foundational to everything in creation. What's even more important is that when the Israelites were living in the state of hope that God will make things what they need to be, there's this beautiful imagery, either in Isaiah and many of the other prophets, about when God comes back, it'll be like a wedding. 
And just read the book of Revelation at the end. It talks about the bride and the bridegroom. And so the very first thing that John talks about is the beauty of a wedding. But what he embeds in that wedding experience is a message. He's signaling something to everybody about what is happening because, oddly enough, the guy that's hosting the wedding has six purification vessels, which is strange. There's only six of them. They're purification vessels, and they're usually used for worship. And what John says is that when Jesus comes, he takes the vessel for worship, and he changes the water into wine. And that kind of sticks. And then he says, and when he came, he went from that wedding to to Jerusalem now in the, in, the, in the south. He was at Cana in the far north, Jerusalem in the south, and he goes to all places, the temple. And at the temple, the first thing that John says that he does is he begins to, he begins to change the order of things. Because the fact of the matter is, um, the money changers and the animals and all of that, well, that was part of temple worship. Because Leviticus 1 and 2 said if you're going to bring these animals for sacrifices, for forgiveness and sins and other things, they got to be, well, they have to be the ones mentioned. Oxen and sheep and pigeons for the poor. And the belief was if you brought coinage with you from pagan nations as an expatriate coming back to Jerusalem, Better not have the face of Caesar because he's not allowed here or any other face of any other person who's connected to any other nation. So they had money changers who made a little bit of a profit off of the exchange. And Jesus came in and he took actually what was commanded and he said, we're not doing this anymore. So that kind of sets us up because the offerings are specific here when he says uh, the oxen and the sheep and the pigeons, they all had a role in the kind of offering that God required that was fundamental to reconnect with him through forgiveness, through thanksgiving, and through all the other ways that um, we try to make ourselves right with the Lord. So Jesus is doing something here. He's getting ready to transform something at the temple. So hopefully you're still with me. And as he does that, here's what we read. And he told those he sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. And the disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, what sign, what sign do you show us for the doing of these things? And John uses that word sign a lot. He's not talking about he doesn't use the word miracles. He said sign. And a sign was a way of saying, hey, that's from God. Hey, that's from God. And usually it corresponds with the storyline of the Bible in a way that um, keeps it true. Otherwise, it's not from God. It's from somebody else. But as they're asking this, they're not saying, they're not saying interestingly enough, they're not saying, hey, <laughs> you're wrecking things. Hey, settle down. Hey, you, um, you, you're, you, you need to be arrested. no. They're responding by saying, which is weird. I mean, if somebody came in here, all right, and they just overturned stuff, would you say to them, hey, 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 mister, what, what, sign, what sign are you doing here? 
No, we'd be saying, hey, we need some big people to come and escort this person out of the building, right? But they're not asking that because in a sense there was in the air this unsettledness, even when Jesus was there, that the way things have been happening in the temple, they're not right. And this temple complex, well, 20 years before Jesus, Herod the Great, who was not a true king, he was an Idumean, but he bought the kingship over Israel from Rome, and he said, I want to make the people like me, and so I'm going to build you a temple, and it's going to be so incredible that you'll just be amazed by it. And he was hoping that they would accept him as king if he built this great temple complex. And seven... and. And in 70 A.D., when the Romans went in to just destroy it because they'd had enough from these Jews, the leader of the contingent of soldiers that went in there had never been there before. And when he looked at how beautiful this building was, he said, we can't tear this up. It is simply too magnificent. See, they had been building this temple from 20 years prior to Jesus' birth, and they had just finished it six years before it got destroyed. It was absolutely spellbinding in, in, in its splendor. But because of the orders that they were given, they destroyed one stone on top of the other. And Jesus comes into this place that is so magnificent and so majestic, and he starts creating a ruckus. But the thing that was on their minds was the fact that the whole premise of the temple and the way it was and who started it and why and what it meant and how it was politically connected and embedded. There were a lot of people that said, we are simply uncomfortable with this whole thing. As beautiful as it is, there's something not right about it. And there was even a debate during the time of Jesus from Caiaphas, the high priest, who said to the rest of the, the, of the Sanhedrin, we need to extort more money from people so that we can have more money for our coffers. And there were a lot of people who were in that council that said, no, that's a bad idea. But he won out, and then everybody was uncomfortable because now the whole thing had become a full-blown economic enterprise, completely disconnected from its original purpose, and people were frustrated. And so Jesus comes in, in the middle of all of that, and they're just saying, show us a sign. Show us a sign. And this is what we read. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up, which is a simply preposterous notion if you're thinking literally. And so John's saying, don't think literally. But they're thinking literally because they, they can't wrap their mind around the fact that Jesus is who he is. And some of us are like that. We really can't see Jesus because we've got other things that are more important that are blinding us to the reality of who he is. And what Jesus is asking us, I just want you to do one thing. Just be open and ask me to help you see, and I'll help you. Trust me. you got to believe. And as he's saying that, the Jews then said, it's taken 46 years up to now to build this. 
and you're going to raise it up in three days? It almost sounds like, you know, when your kids are little and they say stuff that is so funny. Like, um, when, I was, when I was raising our kids, they would have a very literalness about everything you said to them. And I had to be careful what I said because I was always sort of making jokes that were kind of abstract. My wife would look at me and she'd say, they have no idea what you're talking about. And, and so I'd have to kind of, you know, make it very concrete relative to their world, which is perfectly fine because that's where they're at in their development. But these guys, they, they didn't really see the symbolism behind what was happening with Jesus. But the people that are reading this, they do because they're reading it much later. And as Jesus is saying this, he was speaking about the temple of his body. So what do we have so far? We have a story in John 2 about a wedding and wine. We have another one about a body that's a temple being destroyed. Any idea what we're talking about here? Wine, bodies, broken, destroyed. Anybody have a clue what we're talking about? Well, as John is writing this, he's wanting to signal to them some deep things about their identity. And as he does that, he writes... When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered all that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word Jesus had spoken. Remember when Jesus was with the disciples near the end up in the upper room? He says, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. So our culture does talk a lot about signaling, um, the virtue, virtue signaling, and all kinds of language now that just blows my mind, and I don't even fully understand it. Sometimes am I, am I, I'm thinking, am I, am I doing the wrong gesture here? Um, on the highway, I get gestures, and I'm like, was that a good gesture? Was that a bad gesture? I don't know, but um, it involved fingers or lack of or something. And, you know, you just don't always know what people are saying until you talk to them. But if you know the backstory, you know. And sometimes people will do signals with their fingers. And I'm, I remember doing one one time, and I remember Brian saying, you don't want to do that. So, I, so I'm like, okay, I'm just trying to be cool. You know, I'm a nine-year-old guy trying to be hip and, you know, communicate the lingo with, you know, with the groovy people. But, um, you know, sometimes if you don't know the story, then you don't get the signal. And these guys, they knew the signal because they knew the story. And they were kind of living it. But there were some gaps in the DNA of the story. As it turns out, after the destruction of the temple, John says, I, I just want you guys to settle down. Because everything you need is right there with you. And sometimes we don't even realize that, that God is just a prayer way. He says he will never leave us or forsake us. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. And so they remembered that, and he's talking about wine, and he's talking about his body broken, and then when he was in Jerusalem, the scripture says, at the Passover feast, many believed in his name because they saw it. 
They saw the sign, they saw the signaling, and they recognized what it was pointing to. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about men, for he himself knew what was in man. Okay, this has been one of the hardest sermons for me to preach so far in John. One of the reasons is because it's sort of deep in that way. So I want to kind of do a refresher course on signaling real quick. Because I, if you look in the, in the, in the dictionary, um, you just pick any online dictionary or whatever, generally you're going to get this, this, this description for the word signaling. And it is, you transmit information or instructions by mean of gesture, action, or sound. You moms know what I mean? How many different signals do you have for your kids? How many gestures cause them to go from being happy, la, 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 to having, to, to, to looking like they saw a ghost? Just a gesture. Didn't say a word. Didn't have to. And sometimes it's something that um, incites action. Like, finally, the peace treaty is signed. People are getting along. We are living in a new day where people are reconciled, and that tension is gone, and the joy has replaced it. Let's celebrate. And then there's a social signal, which is a form of communication such as you didn't hear my eye roll, did you? But you saw it, right? Now, I, I know people, I can hear their eye roll. They do it around me a lot. And I'm trying to figure out what that means. Um, then there's the silent treatment. Anybody know about that? Any guys know about that? Um, then there's the walking away. That's a bad one. I, I discovered that's a bad one. But a smile's a good one. Unless it's a smile that says, you're dead. That's a different one. But you know the difference, right? You've been, you know the story. And Jesus actually, as John is telling the story in one, two things are, are signaled that are important for everybody to just wrap their mind around. And they're in John 1.14. So the word became flesh and made his, and he tabernacled amongst us. That's literally the language in the Greek. He tabernacled amongst us, which is a language from the Exodus. And we have seen his glory, glory from the Exodus again, the glory of the one and only Son, the one and only, the only begotten, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the signaling words here that John uses out of the gate are, God is tabernacling with you. He's with you. He's here. He's not in the temple. He's not far away. He's with us. And secondly, the glory of his presence, which is just the indescribable weight of that sense of, hey, don't have language, but it felt like God was there. You ever have that? Hopefully you have more than, more, more than you can even remember. And it's the weightiness of his presence that is described by the pillar of fire by night and the pillar of cloud by day. It's all Exodus language. Why is Exodus so important here? Because in their memory, the one thing that defined them, 
The one thing that constituted them as a nation was coming out of Egypt as literal nobody slaves to being established by God in a new covenant that gives them the promise that there is land ahead where you're going to be so blessed you can't stand it. And they never forgot that. And what John is trying to tell the followers of Jesus, when you follow him, you're participating in the new exodus. The new exodus away from everything that is bad and broken and oppressive in this world to the way of kingdom that lasts forever. And some of us in this room have taken that journey. Now, we're still traveling, and there are still things that we are working through, but in effect, in him we are on our way and we can be confident. And John is signaling all of that because the hope is we won't be like some of the people that are talked about in the end of the verse here. Jesus said, there are people that will say they believe, that is, they recognize what happened, they know the story, but it doesn't do anything to change their lives. And that's actually the worst thing because there's nothing like a person coming to church saying, I want to know what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, so what better place to start than to look to the people who are following him? Because when I look at their lives, I will see him because they're, they're following him. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous to say, hey, I'm a Christian, but in the course of my day, I, I don't talk to the Lord, I don't pray, I don't really try to discover anything, I don't do anything that Jesus does. Uh, but, but I'm saved. Would you really call that person, I mean, honestly? I mean, be a Christian, perhaps legally and by name, but they're not really a Christian. I'm not trying to judge here. I'm just saying that we follow Jesus with the intent that he has a better way. And so we're going to take the substance of his way, and we're going to begin to bake that into our own lives in such a way that, though imperfectly, so grace and truth, imperfectly, at least hopefully when somebody sees me, there'll be enough in me that they can say, I feel good being around you. I feel like I'm connecting to God when I'm around you. I feel God's forgiveness when I'm around you. I feel that sense of love underneath it all when I'm around you. I feel that sense of you care about and you have a peace that passes all understanding. You are a follower of Jesus, aren't you? And when I see that in our people, I am just, I am so thrilled. Because there's a lot of people who would say, hey, I'm deconstructing my faith because when I go to church, I don't see him. I see a lot of stuff that I see out there. Why go? And it's a challenging moment for us to be the church because we can as I came to the Lord, I deconstructed a whole lot of my old life and began to reconstruct a new way of life in the Lord. And then along the way, there were some things I picked up. I'm like, that's not really right. But I do know this. My true north, my compass always says, Jesus is the way. That has never changed. But some of my views of who Jesus is, they've definitely changed. But my confidence in the process I would say it's greater than anything. 
and having our world rocked a few years ago just clarified not how important theology is, but how important He is. And when you're connected to Him, He helps you sort out all that other stuff. And what Jesus was saying at the end, yeah, in your head, you see the signal, don't you? Yep. In your head, you see I'm the one. Yep. But in practice, you're not really interested. Well, the truth is, there's a part of each of us that's not really interested. But he's interesting enough that even that part start to say, well, he is kind of interesting. And it's not just words. It is him. And it's that level of identification that Jesus is trying to create with people. And I kind of think sometimes that God let us go through a wholesale cultural deconstruction as we're going through now so that we can clarify what is important and what's not. And for some of us, we're kind of still figuring it out. And others, we're starting to tune in. We're starting to see, yeah, he is the way. And for others, we're just saying, how is he the way? And Jesus said, you'll know by the fruit. If you're doing something that's going to bring good fruit to you and your community, that's probably from God. If you're, if you're into something that's not going to build people up around you and put you in a bad frame of mind, that's probably some bad fruit. You're going to have to figure it out, but I'll always be here to help you do that. It's not an easy sermon to preach because sometimes we just miss the signal. And then if we catch the signal, it's not an easy sermon to preach because sometimes we really don't want the signal. But I don't lose heart because there is one greater than myself and yourself who says, I want you to know the signal. And the most important one is in John 3.16. I love this place and you people so much. I'm giving you everything I have so that you'll know me. And I hope that we're a kind of people that are signposts and signalers to that kind of a reality. Because I have to tell you, there's not much out there to cling to anymore. But there's everything to cling to in here through him. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we are grateful that in all the chaos of our own lives and even in our own hearts and our minds where we have competing voices pulling us in one direction or another. Yet we know, Lord Jesus, when we just put all of that aside and we open ourselves to you, that in you we find not only a safe place, but we, we find ourselves. We find the source for compassion, caring, curiosity, a source of peace, 
things that bring us back to who we are. And I pray, Father, for everyone within this body, everybody that's able to join us online, that you would help us take those voices that have a different role and a different place in our lives at different times, put them aside, and to just be open to you. Find who we are, find our identity, find how we are called to be sons and daughters, loving one another as you have first loved us. Help us to be true to those things that you have shown us on how we should live. Bless our people on that journey. And I pray for anyone else that is joining us in that way. Help them to feel the hospitality of your love as we do. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to prepare for communion, Rob's going to come up and lead us. Definitely out of my comfort zone. But, uh, started the day out of my comfort zone. Aaron made me iron my own shirt today. <laughs> and uh, if it turned out okay, maybe this will too. So, um, I, uh, I guess maybe I can relate being out of my comfort zone to the rehab I went through this year. Um, they told me after my heart attack to go to rehab and I didn't think much of it. I thought I was doing okay on my own, but they, uh, <clears throat> they said it'd be good for me. So I signed up and I went and probably a lot of you have gone to rehab for other things too. And the first time I went, I exercised and thought this is pretty easy. Uh, but then they start cranking it up the next week and the next week and it's like, man, this is getting hard. And I didn't know if I could do it, but I, I kept going back and now that I look back, it made me a lot stronger and Maybe that's why I'm up here today to um, get stronger. And uh, it's just nice to see what's happening here. I see young people stepping up. I see old, older people um, saying how much they love the youth and want to show them. I see new people coming that I think. God led them here, must have led them here for a really good reason because I see what they're doing. And I see people that have come back to this church and are on fire. And uh, I just love being here. I love worshiping and praising God. I 
love listening to Leonard's, the God's word through Leonard. Um, so maybe, maybe all of us need to uh, step out of our comfort zone too when you think what God did for us. That's all. I love everything about this church, but that's a whole nother level. What, uh, what he did for us. I mean, I can't imagine that you'd allow your body to be broken and your blood to be shed for what? For us to have eternal life. So, um, maybe, I hope this is appropriate. When we pray, maybe um, just between you and God, nobody will see you. But if you want to get out of your comfort zone, I think you'll grow stronger. And uh, while we're praying, maybe just nobody will see you. Just lift your hand up that you want to grow, get out of your comfort zone too. So um, let us pray. Dear Lord, you are the bread of life and you are the living water. And we thank you so much for what you did for us. And uh, when you say to partake of your body and drink of your blood, maybe that means that you want to be inside us. Please keep, our, please keep our eyes open that we can see the needs of others outside of these walls that uh, we can see the elderly we can see the sick we can see the needy and maybe they can see you through us so We partake of this in remembrance of you. In your name we pray, amen.
as we go from this place. Help us put you first in everything and show you to everybody that we can. We love you. We praise you. Amen. Be safe. Stay warm. Hope to see you next week.